Psalm 91. And the theme of my sermon, can Psalm 91 stop COVID-19? Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we call on you, we creatures of dust, call to you the eternal God. God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so we desire with all our heart to magnify your name, not to make you greater than you are, for you are perfect, but for us tiny creatures to see you for who you really are. Oh, give us a glimpse into heaven. Give us a glimpse of your glory, that we may behold the glory of God in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So that question, can Psalm 91 stop COVID-19? It's a bit like asking, do you still beat your wife? And if you say no, it means you did beat her in the past. And if you say yes, then it means you're still beating her. So this question, can Psalm 91 stop COVID-19? If you say no, then it means God can't protect you. And if you say yes, then... What are you saying? Are you saying someone, someone who gets the coronavirus is not a Christian or he's not a very good Christian uh, or he's, he's not under God's protection? So how, how should we answer the question? Well, we're going to do that as, as we progress through the psalm. But let's read Psalm 91 and then I'm going to summarize it in four words and develop each of those words. Psalm 91 verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look at it with your eyes, or look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On your hands, on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent, you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I'll protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I'll answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I'll rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So the first word is hiding place in verse 1 and 2. 
I grew up in Lutrichard, a town in the Limpopo province, probably 115 k's south of the Zimbabwe border. And the Sotmansberg, the town is situated at the foot of the Sotmansberg, right beneath a peak called Honglip. And if you go up the mountain and you go to Honglip, there's a natural rainforest below this massive edifice, this massive rock, and then also a cave where probably, I don't know, hundreds of years ago or maybe only decades ago, a rock probably broke off the mountain and, and fell a few hundred meters. And there's a cave in this rock. Now, it can be the hottest day in town, shorts and t-shirt weather, and you go up the mountain and it's a bit chilly. You go right up to Honglip, to that rainforest, and you go into the cave and it's quite cold actually. You want a jersey and trousers. And that's exactly how God was for Israel in, in verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, he will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Uh, it reminds me of the smoke. Remember the smoke and the cloud, the pillar of smoke, or the pillar of fire at least, and um, the, this cloudy pillar that was to be a protection for the people of Israel in the desert protecting them against the heat of the desert sun, Psalm 105, verse 39. And even the tabernacle, the tent, was like a spiritual shelter for God's people, Psalm 61, verse 5. Now, unfortunately, the Israelites did not find their shelter in the Most High God because they were disobedient. And therefore, if you move outside the covenant of God, if, they, if you move outside the law of God, which they did, well, they did not enjoy God's protection when they were disobedient. And then Jesus came to this earth. God become man. And for 33 years, years Jesus lives on the earth. And he does, verse 1, he dwells in the shelter of the Most High. He hides by faith in his Father. And he, he abides in the shadow of the Almighty. And now the question comes to us, are you safe? Are you safe, not primarily against the coronavirus or from the coronavirus protected from that? Are you safe against the storm of God's judgment that will come when Jesus Christ returns? Do you dwell in the shelter of the Most High? Do you abide in the shadow of the Almighty? You have no shelter if you're trusting in yourself or in your good works or in your religion. Then you're like a child when children call you and it's holidays and they've taken a couple of chairs and blankets and made a little, little house and, and say, come look at my house, that's my room and that's her room and this is the lounge and so on. Well, that little house won't stand and your little house won't stand when the judgment of God comes. If you are trusting in yourself, your good works or your religion, your house will collapse. You can only be safe if you trust in Jesus Christ, if you trust in the death of Jesus Christ. That is, that is the shelter for us. That is the shadow of the Almighty for us. Isaiah 4, verse 5 and 6. Isaiah 25, verse 4, 32, verse 2 speaks of a, a cloudy pillar, this cloud that covers us and a rock, the shadow of a rock in a, in a 
barren land, in a desert, in a wasteland, and we find shade. And ultimately in heaven, where God shelters us with his own presence, Revelation 7 verse 15, to protect us from everything that might do us harm. And verse 16 says, the sun shall not strike you, neither the moon. Revelation 7 verse 15 and 16. And then and then only, you can honestly and truly say, ah, verse 2, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. We know from Proverbs, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The mighty or the righteous man runs into it and is safe. And Psalm 18, verse 2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Our life is hidden with Christ. Can you honestly say, verse 1 and 2, that you dwell in the shelter of the Most High, that you abide in the shadow of the Almighty, that the Lord is your refuge and your fortress, your God in whom you trust? Now, when I ask people that, do you trust in Jesus? Many people say yes, and perhaps you say yes, but you've got a wrong kind of trust. It's a temporary trust. It's an earthly trust. When I, when I ask people that, and you just ask a couple of more questions, you see they're not trusting in Christ. They, they're trusting him for temporary things. Are you trusting in Jesus? Yes, I'm trusting in Jesus. Really? Tell me about it. Yes, I trust him for food and for money and for a job and for health. That's not what I mean. What I mean and what the psalmist means when we trust in God, it's trusting him for salvation and forgiveness and eternal life. Are you trusting him for that? Second word, danger. Verse 3 to 10. So you've seen the WhatsApps and the messages on Facebook and the sermons on YouTube, all these sermons on Psalm 91. I, I heard one of these voice notes where the guy said, right now, all of us, we, we're going to say Psalm 91 every day. And you're going to either read it or you just pray the psalm. And, and it becomes kind of like a magic chant. It's like this magic chant people want to say to protect them from the coronavirus. And the, this guy said, and if we say this enough, we're releasing stuff in the spirit world, in the heavenlies, and, and then we're creating this atmosphere where we are protected. That's nonsense, and that's wrong. That's the word of faith movement. So what does this psalm mean, and how should we apply it? Well, let's, let's take a look at it. So verse 3 says, He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. So a fowler is someone who catches birds in a trap, in a snare. And so now the one who catches us in the snare is the unbelievers. And then Satan and demons, they want to catch us. They want to tempt us. They want to make us fall. Psalm 124 in verse 7 speaks of the enemy in that way, of unbelievers in that way. It says, blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. And then that's verse 6, verse 7, we have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowler's the snare is broken, we've, we've escaped. And Proverbs 1 verse 17, where unbelievers want to catch you like they catch a bird in a snare. And then Satan and demons, obviously. Where Satan comes, he tried to catch Jesus through temptation. But Jesus was delivered. And Jesus taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then verse 3 continues and it says, he will, he will deliver you from the deadly pestilence. So what's the lesson is the lesson that Christians can't get the coronavirus, we can't catch the virus? Well, no, that's not the lesson. The lesson here is that 
to the Christian, the coronavirus is never a curse. It's never, it's never God's, God's condemnation on us. Romans 1, 8 verse 1, there's, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like Job, Job chapter 2, Job gets sick. He gets these boils. In Job 42, we see that it's not a curse. It's not God's condemnation. And even if you die of the virus, it's not a curse. COVID-19 is a pale horse that takes you and drops you right at the portals of heaven, right at the gates of heaven. So yes, it's an ugly horse, but it's a horse in God's service that takes you to heaven. And in that way, God even saves you and delivers you from the deadly pestilence, as verse 4 says. He delivers you that you will never again get any sickness because you're in that land of which Isaiah 33, 24 says, no one there will say, I am sick. And then the Lord makes us, he brings us under his wings to hide under his wings. Verse 4, he'll cover you with his pinions and under his wings you'll find refuge, almost like a hen and her chicks. And the chicks hide under the hen's wings to protect them from, from the hawk. Or maybe like an eagle carrying its chicks on its wings. Exodus 19 verse 4, Deuteronomy 32, 11. So it's really speaking of God's covenant love. It's like we under these wings. We are safe. And many Psalms speak of this. Psalm 17, Psalm 57, Psalm 61. And, and this is for everyone who believes. Like Ruth, where, where it says in Ruth 2 verse 12 that Ruth came and she has come to find refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. Or like Jesus to Jerusalem. How often I would have gathered you like a hen gathers her chicks. Jesus is the God of Israel. The one under whose wings we find refuge. Reminds me of the story I heard from another preacher where the farmer, his farm burnt down and he, he was really sad walking on the farm and he saw the grass is burnt black and then he saw a hen roasted black because of the fire. And he's sad and he just pushes the hen aside with his foot and out run the chicks from under the hen. They were safe. They were saved from the fire because the hen, the mother, came between the chicks and the fire. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus comes between us and the anger of God, the judgment of God, the wrath of God, when Jesus hangs on the cross. And so Jesus, if I can say, quote unquote, Jesus burns to death and we are under his wings. We are safe. Jesus takes the judgment for us. And then verse 4 at the end says, His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. So it's that shield that stops, that, pre that, that prevents the arrows of the enemy from striking us. The arrows of verse, verse 5b, nor the arrow that flies by day. And then verse 4, his, his faithfulness is the shield and the buckler. It's like Paul says in Ephesians, the shield of faith. And we've got the breastplate of righteousness. So we are safe from the enemy, safe from Satan and his fiery darts. And then we, we, we need not fear any danger, verse 5 and 6. You'll not fear the terror 
of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. In other words, you're safe from whatever comes in the day or the night. You're safe from, what, from whatever is visible or invisible, like the coronavirus. You're safe. The day and the night belongs to God. Nothing can come in the day, nothing in the night, unless God permits it. The day and the night belong to him, says Psalm 74, 16. To him the darkness is as bright as the day, Psalm 139, 11 and 12. So any danger, any sickness, these things can do nothing to us unless God tells them to. Verse 7 and 8, a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You'll look only, only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. And even if God then does come on and say that the sickness must come, the coronavirus must come to your house, or whatever other dangers or trials or sufferings, it is never, it is never God's condemnation upon the believer as it is upon the wicked. In verse 8b, you'll see the recompense of the wicked. So it's not recompense to those who trust in Christ. It's not punishment in terms of being condemnation. So why does God then say sometimes that, well, sickness will come to your house or other dangers or other trials? Well, maybe it's a test, like in the case of Job, where God said, Satan, you may touch Job's body, but you can't take his life. And Satan did touch his body. He got boils. And it was a test. Or perhaps God says that sickness can come to you because he wants to show his great works in your life. So why is this man born blind, Jesus? The disciples ask. Is it because of his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus says neither. It's so that the works of God may be made manifest, that God's great works can be shown because God, Jesus made him see. So Lazarus gets, gets ill, he gets sick and he dies. So why does that happen? so that the glory of God can be seen when Jesus raises him from the dead. So that's why God said, right, sickness can come. Maybe God wants to discipline you. Like when David sinned, God touched his child and the child got sick and died, 2 Samuel 12, 15, as a discipline for David. Or in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty, the people, the people abused the Lord's table the Lord's Supper, and God killed some of them, and God made some of them get sick. Or in James 5, verse 15, verse 15 it says uh, that if, you, if the sick person has committed any sins, he will be forgiven, implying that he, he became sick because of some sin in that case. Or perhaps the Lord lets you get sick because he wants to take you to heaven. He wants you to be with him now. Your time on earth is done. Like Second Kings chapter 13, verse 14, Elisha gets sick and he dies. Or Second Samuel 12, 22 and 23, David's child dies and David says, I'll go to him, he won't return to me, so he's in heaven. Or maybe the Lord lets you get sick because he wants to actually save you from this world and from all the suffering and pain and sin in this world. Like in 1 Kings 14, verse 1, Jeroboam's son gets sick and then he dies. In verse 13 it says something good is found in this child. Uh, or Luke 16, verse 20 and 22 and 25. You remember the rich man and Lazarus and Lazarus gets these sores and the dogs come and they lick his wounds. Eventually he dies 
And then he's comforted. He's in heaven. So he's no, no longer in this world of suffering and pain. Or perhaps, perhaps the Lord says, you're going to get sick because God is giving other Christians an opportunity to serve and to minister to you and to serve Jesus in this way. So I was sick and you visited me. And, and then the people say to Jesus, when were you sick, Jesus? When did we visit you? And he said, when you did it to the least of these of my brothers, you did it to me. So whatever the reason may be, why God then says, you're going to get sick. Remember this, viruses and sicknesses, illnesses like the coronavirus and whatever other dangers there may be, it is not God's curse on the Christian. It's a blessing, always. Anything that happens to the Christian is a blessing from God. It's never a curse. Verse 9 and 10, you may, because you made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. So even, even bad things that do come, it's not evil sent from God. It's not a curse sent from God. It's a blessing. Romans 8.28, we all know that. And we know that for those who love God, He works all things together for good for those who have been called according to His purpose. What are those things that He works together for good? Well, everything it says. But one of it is verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? So it's not saying Christians won't have tribulation or distress or those things. Because verse 36 says that we, we are killed sometimes for the sake of Christ. So you're going to go through those things, but God will work it together for good. Remember the curses and the blessings in Deuteronomy 28? If you obey me, these blessings will come upon you. If you disobey me, these curses will come. And some of the curses are pestilence and sickness. But now Jesus redeems us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Galatians 3.13, so that, verse 14, the blessings now come. So even if you do get the coronavirus, it's a blessing from God. Listen to me. God uses those things to shape your character, to make you more like Christ. James 1, verse 2 to 4, Romans 5, verse 3 to 5. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. I venture to say, that the greatest earthly blessing that God can give to any of us is health, with the exception of sickness, meaning sickness is a greater blessing. Sickness has frequently been of more use to the saints of God than health has. I wouldn't wish for any man, for any man a long time of sickness and pain, but a twist now and then. One might almost ask for him, a sick wife, a newly made grave, poverty, slander, sinking of spirit, meaning depression, might teach lessons nowhere else to be learned so well. Trials drive us to the realities of religion. Our sufferings or afflictions come to us as blessings, though they frown like curses. So it's like William Cooper, the hymn writer, said, behind a frowning providence he hides a smiling face. So you see the frown, you see the thundercloud, the storm cloud, but there's a sun shining behind that cloud, you know. Now, I can just hear the word of faith movement people, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel people giving a sigh and murmuring and complaining when they hear that quote of Charles Spurgeon, but it's biblical. And if you believe the Bible, then you will say amen to that quote. 
Because you understand Job 2 verse 7, where Job got sick. And you understand Job 42 verse 5, after the sickness, where Job said, I have heard of you with the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Lord, now I see. Now I truly see your greatness and your majesty. So sickness did something good. You understand Psalm 119 verse 67 and 71. Before I was, was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. 71, it's good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. John Piper says, there are things to be seen in the word of God that can only be seen through the lens of tears. Only when you suffer, you understand those things. Third word, helpers. Verse 11 to 14, uh, 11 to 13. So John Ruskin was a man living, he lived in the, the 1800s, and he was a friend of Charles Spurgeon. And one day he told this, the following story to Spurgeon. There was a widower, and quite a young man, so his wife they probably hadn't been married long, and the wife died. Now he's a widower, he's got small kids, and this widower went to a farm because he wanted to rent the farmhouse so his children can live in the countryside. He thought it would be good for them. And as they go to the farm, he ends up talking to the, the owner of this house. And the kids run around on the farm, just exploring everywhere. They're so excited. And they run around in the house from room to room and eventually keeping the best for last. There's a room downstairs. The stairs go down the stairway. The staircase and they rush to the staircase start running down the staircase but it's pitch dark they can't see far and suddenly their mom she's standing halfway down the staircase and she doesn't speak she just shows them turn around turn around go back and they're shocked and they turn around they run to their dad they said mom we saw mother we saw mother and he, he so he he started thinking something's not right so he goes with him, and it ends up, this staircase, if they had run further, they would have plummeted to their death because the staircase just stops, and then there's a very deep well going down. Now, I believe it was an angel that God sent to protect these children, um, and an angel that appeared in the form of their mother because the Lord knew they would obey their mother. And such things still happen. Verse 11, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Now, we don't always see them. Angels are spirits. Hebrews 1 verse 14 says, sent out for the sake of those, they, they ministers of God, sent out for the sake of those who are to inherit eternal life. So God sends them to help us, to protect us. Matthew 18 verse 10 says the same, that these angels are always watching the face of the Father. It's like they're ready at the snap of a finger, at the click of a finger at a the drop of a hat, to use um, modern terms, where the Father says, I command you, go. And they come and they protect God's children, Christians. Like they did in, in Second Kings, when Elisha was surrounded by the Syrian army, God sent angels to protect him. Uh, chariots and horses and chariots of fire. Or Jesus in the desert, where the angels were with him to minister to him, Mark 1 verse 13, or Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, where an angel comes to strengthen him because he's anxious in Luke 22, verse 43. Or when Lazarus dies, angels come and they take him to heaven. Or Peter's in prison and angels come. An angel comes to free him in Acts 12. Well, an angel comes in Acts 5 to free the apostles from prison. 
there's a person I know very well, and a person who does not, who's not a liar. Um, and this person said that in the 1990s, it's like the mid-1990s, there were riots at the place her and her husband worked. They used to work there, and the students became quite aggressive. They would say things like, one settler, one bullet, or kill the farmer, kill the boer. And that morning on the way to work, this woman says, she just prayed and said, Lord, please, just give us an encouragement. Just give us the assurance you are with us. And suddenly, she says, it's like a split second. On both sides of the road, she saw flaming beings like an army. Now, you can say, I don't believe that. Fine. Uh, I know this person well and don't believe her to be a liar. But the angels... The angels are sent to protect God's people, verse 11 says, uh, even against the coronavirus, unless the Lord has some good plan in mind with your suffering and saying you must get this illness like he did with Job. Job got the illness. God allowed Satan in that case to make Job become sick or other times God allows things and even sends things like in, in Paul's case in Second Corinthians where he suffered so that he could encourage others where he suffered, so that uh, he could understand God's grace is sufficient for him. But uh, unless, unless God has some good purpose in mind, the angels will bear us up and they will protect us even against the minutest accident. Verse 12, You'll, uh, on their hands they'll bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. That's just walking. That's just Day-to-day -day stuff, walking, and you'll be protected by God's angels. Even being protected against wild animals, verse 13. You'll tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent, you'll trample underfoot. Like Daniel, being protected against the lions. Or like Paul, being protected against serpents. Um, Daniel in the lion's den, the lions didn't kill him. Daniel 6.22, because God sent an angel, he sent an angel. Or Paul, a snake bit him, a poisonous snake, and he didn't die in Acts 28. Or even Jesus. The angels came and ministered in Mark 1.13 while he was in the desert with the wild animals, Mark says in 1 verse 13. Now I do think that lions and snakes in, and serpents in verse 13 may also be a use of symbolic language here, speaking of the enemy, speaking of unbelievers even. As David says in Psalm 57, in Psalm 58 also we read of the enemy as vipers, like poison under their tongues and like lions. It says, so there you find lions and serpents, the same as in this verse. And then also Satan and demons um, are sometimes described in these terms, lions and serpents. Like you remember the serpent tempting Eve, or in Luke chapter 10, where the apostles had cast out demons, and Jesus said, I saw Satan falling like lightning, like lightning from heaven. And then Jesus said, I've given you authority to trample on serpents, on snakes, poisonous serpents and scorpions. Uh, and then Satan also being portrayed as a lion, a roaring lion in 1 Peter 5 verse 8. So the point is to say that even Satan, even demons, unbelievers, the world, they cannot take your salvation from you. They cannot separate you from God. God's angels will protect you as much as fallen angels, demons, that's another name for demons, as much as fallen angels tempt you, so much holy angels are sent to protect you according to verse 11 to 13. And then the final word, number four, promises. That's in verse 14 to 16. 
How would you feel if a very, very rich and wealthy and in influential businessman that's a, a multi-billionaire writes thousands of blank checks and your name is on those blank checks? So you can just fill in the amount, take it to the bank, exchange for cash, and you can do it any day and every day. And that's exactly how we should see God's promises. All the promises, thousands of promises in the Bible, they're all yours. They are all yours if you're a Christian. Now, there are eight of these promises in verse 14 to 16. The first one, verse 14, Behold, he holds fast to me in love. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. So, whatever trials you go through, the Lord's your deliverer. Because you love him. You hold fast in love. And, and oh, well, we all know that we hold fast to God in love because he first loved us. That's what the Bible teaches. So the question you need to ask is, do you love him? Do you really love him? Like he asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me? And he's asking you that question. Do you hold fast to me, love? Do you love me? And if you do love me, prove it. Prove it, Jesus says. Obey my commandments. And if you've backslidden, return. Return to your first love. Second promise. Also in verse 14b. I will protect him because he knows my name. The name that God revealed to Moses in Exodus 34. And in Exodus 3, I am who I am. In Exodus 34, where God speaks of himself as long-suffering, he's patient, he's kind, he's full of mercy, he's full of grace, and so on, steadfast love. You know his name, he will protect you. 1 John 5, verse 18, it speaks of Jesus and it says that he protects us and the evil one does not touch us. So do you know his name? And if you do, why not grow to know his name even more, to know him more and more in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because Jesus is the revelation of God. He makes known to us the name of God. He is the name of God. Meditate on the word of God. Think over and over and over the words of scripture. So that you may know God's name. Pray. Spend time in prayer that you may know his name. Third promise in verse 15. When he calls to me, I will answer him. Do you, do you have some crisis in your life right now? Call to him. Call to him. Call on me in the day of trouble. I will rescue you. You will glorify me. Psalm 50, 15. He will answer you. Do you have some prayer request? Call to him. He will answer you. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Didn't Jesus say whatever you ask in his name he will give? Do you desire to be saved? Do you desire God's forgiveness? Call upon him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Are you anxious about something? Are you really troubled? Call on him. Jesus in the days of his flesh, through strong cries and tears, called to God who was able to answer him and he was, he was heard because of his reverence. So verse 15, when he calls, I will answer him. Fourth promise, also verse 15, I will be with him in trouble. Jesus cried on the cross, My God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? And one of the answers to the question is, so that you never have to call and cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus did it for us. So even in death, you will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You'll fear no evil, for I am with you says the Lord. You go through the rivers, you go through the waters, they won't drown you, they won't overwhelm you, the fire won't burn you, the flame won't sear you, because I am with you. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. I am with you all the days to the end of the earth. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And that goes even for this time during the coronavirus. Fifth promise, also verse 15. I will rescue him. So when you are tempted, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. God, will, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above your ability or above what you are able to be. And with a temptation, he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So verse 15 I will rescue him and even rescue you from death. Today, you will be with me in paradise. You'll be rescued from the jaws of death. And finally, when Jesus returns, he'll raise you from the grave, from the dead. You'll be rescued. And then the next promise, verse 15, number six. I will honor him. So that honor, first and foremost, is given to Jesus. Because Jesus did verse 1, he dwells in the shelter of the Most High, the shadow of the Almighty. Verse 2, Jesus made the Father his refuge and his fortress, he trusted in his Father. Verse 4, he was under the wings of his Father. Verse 14, he held fast to his Father in love and he knew his name. Verse 9, he made the Lord his dwelling place and the Most High his refuge. Jesus was obedient to his Father even to the point of death, yes, death on a cross. And therefore, verse 15, the last words, God honored him. He gave him a name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow those in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. And verse 15, if you trust in Christ, God will honor you. Those who honor me, I will honor, says 1 Samuel 2 verse 30. And then I've got a string of verses here, a dozen or more. Probably almost a dozen. Just speaking about different rewards, crown of righteousness, crown of life, crown of glory, the prize that we will receive. The rewards we will receive in heaven. God will honor you. And then number seven, the seventh promise in verse 16, with a long life I will satisfy. And then for Israel, obviously first, God said if they obey, their days will be long in the land that the Lord their God gives them. And then for Jesus, because he was obedient, the Father raised him from the dead and gave him a long life. Uh, eternal days, the power of an indestructible life, says Hebrews 7.16. Risen from the dead, never to die again. And then for us also, through Christ, 
God satisfies us with a long life. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, forever, in length of days. I am the resurrection of the life, and, and the life, whoever believes in me shall never perish. Those who believe in Christ will live even though they die. He gives us eternal life, and one day he will raise our bodies. A body that will be immortal, that cannot die. And then the last promise in verse 16, I'll show you my salvation. So the father delivered his son from death. He raised him from the dead. And for us, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit gives us the salvation through Jesus. For all those who believe in Jesus, all those who trust in Christ, do you have the salvation? Do you have this? Is eternal life yours? Yes. Do you say yes? Well, praise the Lord. Live for Christ. Love him more and more. Do you say, no, the salvation is not mine? I don't have eternal life or I'm not sure? Well, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He who has the son has life. This life is in God's son, this eternal life. And it's much more important that you make sure of this and make certain of this as, uh, than, than just trying to stop yourself from getting the coronavirus and trying to stop COVID-19. So if you want to pray Psalm 91 as some kind of chant or mantra or rhyme and you think, well, that's just, that just shows that you're more afraid of sickness than you are of God. You fear sickness, you fear the coronavirus more than you fear God. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid of getting the virus? Why are you so afraid of dying? You think your greatest need is health. Your greatest need is not the health of your body. It's the salvation of your soul. It's the salvation of God. It's forgiveness of sins. Why are you so clinging to this life? It seems like you, you don't have the desire to live with Jesus in the life hereafter. People who just pray Psalm 91 as a kind of a mantra or a rhyme, it shows they're holding on to this life. They're afraid of dying. So to answer the question that I asked in the beginning, can, can Psalm 91 stop COVID-19? Well, yes, yes, the God of Psalm 91 can stop COVID-19 if he wishes. But let us have a greater desire to dwell in the shadow of the Almighty to be covered and find refuge under his wings than to do everything in your power just so that you won't get the coronavirus. Let us pray.